Well, it's great to be in the great state of Alaska. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to come up here, and uh, it's been a joy to get a little bit of a taste of your state and just get a chance to connect here. It's been a while since I've been able to connect with Brother Demo. It's good to reconnect with him. And as he said, I pastor down in Bloomington, Minnesota. How many of you have heard of the Mall of America? Okay, that's where we minister in that area right there. It's kind of the claim to fame, if you will, for that city. But uh, we've been there just a little over 11 years now. We started as a church plant, and the Lord has been good to us. We started in the community center about five years ago or so. We were able to get our own facility. And uh, God's just enabled us to do things just like you guys are doing, trying to reach the world for Christ. We've got a metro area of about 3.5 million people. Uh, we have over 80 immigrant groups there. Uh, some of the largest are the Somalis, the Hmong, um, Liberian people, of course, many Hispanic and so forth. So we got a, quite a cosmopolitan area along with the colleges that are around there. And uh, as, as you are here, we're trying to take advantage of our opportunities to share Christ with as many people as we can. As uh, it's our passion to get the word of God out to a needy, needy world. And I grew up, I didn't grow up in a, in a Bible-believing Christian home. I, I grew up Catholic and uh, got saved when I was 20 years of age as a result of, of a guy who was faithfully witnessing on our college basketball team. It was at Moorhead State, actually, is where it was. And uh, today, you know, because of somebody's witness, there's, you know, I got saved and, and God's established a church. You just never know what God will do when you reach out to somebody because they may be the next missionary, they may be the next pastor, they may be the next faithful uh, wife, faithful husband, faithful whoever, but can really make a difference. And we thank God for all the people that we are able to reach for His glory. Well, let's go to 2 Timothy today, 2 Timothy chapter number 1 if we could. There was a man by the name of Bill who stopped by his friend Abby's little general store. He was looking for a bottle of mustard. Well, the shelves Bill discovered were, he couldn't find any mustard. They were, in fact, they were loaded with salt for some reason. Bags and bags of salt. Well, he asked his friend Abby if he had any mustard, and his, and his friend said, well, yeah, sure, let me go down to the cellar to see if I can find some. I know I've got to have some around here. So Bill followed his friend down to the cellar, and to his surprise, he found more and more bags of salt on the shelves down in the basement. Everywhere he could see, he saw salt. Well, Bill said to his friend Abby, well, say here, uh, you guys must sell a lot of salt in this store. I mean, there's, there's so much around here, I don't understand. Well, his friend Abby said sourly back to him, nah, I can't sell salt. But that feller who sells me salt, boy, he can sure sell salt, can't he? <laughs> He sure can sell salt because he was persuasive in his argument, if you will. He was very persuasive, this salesman. But more importantly, though, God wants people to be persuaded about what he says in his word. For the more persuaded we are of its truths, the more readily we will act upon them. Paul's life was a classic example of someone who was what? Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded by God in regards to his viewpoint on this life and eternity. By being persuaded, he ena it enabled Paul to remain faithful through the various things he experienced in life. And I believe we can learn some very helpful insights for our Christian life from Paul's final epistle to his son in the faith, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 8 through verse 12. 
The Bible says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Notice Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am what? Persuaded. Persuaded. And today, I'd like to ask us all, are we persuaded about the validity of what God says in His Word, enough to where we will act upon it as He directs and guides us accordingly? Today, let's, think, let's consider this thought of what I call being persuaded. Being persuaded. Let's have a word of prayer first. Father, we thank you for the truth we'll look at today. We thank you for the Word of God that reveals uh, things to us. And I do pray that uh, we would be persuaded people because it really strengthens us to walk the Christian life according to your divine plan and your Word. Help us, Lord God, to understand these things. Help me to speak them so that you may be glorified in each and every life here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when God created human beings, He created us all with this free will, right? What, and that, of course, means we, God has given us the power to make decisions in our life, to make choices for ourselves. It's a great privilege to make choices. But it does come with a little thing attached to it. And that's this, that with every choice, there's a responsibility or responsibilities attached to it. it that every privilege that we get here when it comes to our choices, it comes with serious responsibilities. For if we make bad choices... We are responsible for the consequences that follow. There are many people in our society that doesn't have a clue about that or they want to dismiss it. But you, have to, you and I have to remember, for every choice that we make, we are responsible for the consequences that are attached to it. There was a couple of brothers that uh, we had recently in our church. They, they sing and preach and so forth. They, they've written some songs. And uh, one of their songs has a phrase in there, a line that says, We're free to make choices but not free from the choices we make. That's so true. Now, many people try to blame others for their choices or refuse to take responsibility for them, but regardless of how much someone attempts to do either, <laughs> he or she is stuck with them and all the scars that come with them. You know, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, the Bible talks about, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, Right? And if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll, we reap life everlasting. In other words, there, there is a sowing and reaping process that comes from our choices. We sow good choices, we'll get good results. We sow bad choices, we'll get negative results. Hence, it's important to make good choices. But how does one know they are making good choices? Well, we know that when, it's, when a person makes choices based off God's Word, through its commands, its principles, its promises, and so forth. And that a person is making these decisions align with our choices, or we are aligning our choices with God's truths, and we will never go wrong there. 
Now, that doesn't mean we'll escape problems, but it does mean we're assured the best outcomes in the end. We're assured the best outcomes in the end, which sometimes that takes time to see. Sometimes you, you sow some things, and then it takes some time to reap them. And sometimes it takes years in some cases. But, you, but God has promised that if we sow right choices, the best outcomes will come out. The problem Christian people sometimes find themselves running into is this. Can I truly trust what God says to do in these circumstances? I think we, we will say, oh yeah, absolutely. But you know what? When the rubber meets the road sometimes in our circumstances, we're not always sure. We're not always persuaded. Really. And uh, we, we say we are, and maybe some areas we, yeah, we're persuaded, but then there's something else that comes into the life that, you know what? We begin to wonder, ah, can I really trust God here? Am I really that persuaded by his truths? Am I persuaded enough? Because of our free will, we cannot be coerced to believe anything. Now, we can be coerced to do something. There have been many people in history that have been coerced to do things totally against their will, but not believe something. What must happen for a mind to accept something is that it must be persuaded. You must persuade the mind. It can't be forced. And God's working to persuade people all the time about his truths. Now, to persuade someone is to convince them of something using argument and reason. Of course, we base it off the truth of the Word of God, that, uh, uh, that uh, what he says is true. But when Paul was trying to bring people to salvation, we find him always reasoning with people out of the Scriptures, don't we, in the book of Acts. In fact, we'll do a quick Bible drill here. Go to Acts 17. We'll, I'll show you a few verses where... That's exactly what was Paul was doing when he was going into these communities. As he was breaking new ground with the gospel, he would approach a synagogue or approach an area, and he was always trying to persuade people to believe what God had to say. Look at Acts 17 and verse 2. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, in other words, this was something that was very common, which he did, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned, or we could use the word persuaded, with them out of the Scriptures. Look at Acts 18, verse 4. It says, And he reasoned, this is Paul again, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Look at Acts 19, verse 26. Acts 19, verse 26. It says, Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but almost Throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned many are turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Of course, this is an observation coming from a lost man. Look at uh, Acts chapter 24 and verse number uh, 25. Acts 24 and verse number 25. Again, Paul, speaking before Felix, uh, the Roman magistrate, said this, and it, or the Bible says this about that scenario. And as he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Notice again the word reasoned, or we could just as well substitute persuaded. Persuaded. You know, Paul's goal was always to persuade people using the scriptures to be saved, trusting that the Holy Spirit would have an influence through the, what, he was, what he was saying there. Remember that scenario before King Agrippa, and Paul goes through his testimony, and, and by the time it's all said and done, and Paul's saying, uh, King Agrippa, I know you believe, so forth. He's trying to, what, persuade him. And what does Agrippa say? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, right? 
Didn't quite get there, but that's exactly what Paul was trying to do. He was trying to persuade people. And I thank God for people who are persuaded to the point where they believe the gospel and get saved and their lives change. But you know what? That persuasion, that need to be persuaded, doesn't stop at salvation because God is continuing to seek to persuade us to believe Him and what He says regarding every situation in life we face. No doubt every one of us will go through time. In fact, maybe some of you are going through times right now where God is trying to show you or trying to persuade you that you can trust Him with whatever this circumstance is. It might be a health issue. It might be a financial issue. It might be a job issue. It might be a ministry issue. But it's some issue where God wants to persuade you to trust Him. And as you trust Him, His, His peace becomes the anchor of your soul. Go to Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6. These are great verses. Hebrews 6, and in verse number 17, notice the idea of persuasion comes up. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show, or we could use the word persuade again, unto the heirs of promise, us, the immobility of his counsel. In other words, the unchangeableness of his word, the truth of it, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Again, verse 17, it's communicating to us that God wants to show us that his counsel is immutable. It is unchangeable. It is perfect. It is true. It is right. And that you and I can, can realize that God never lies and that we can put our trust completely in him in every circumstance of life. And that anchors the soul down pretty good, doesn't it? It sure does. It's sure nice to know that when things are falling apart, that God has got it all under control. When things are going wrong, uh, we, we, can, we can go back to him and we can realize, hey, look, my God has got my hand and we're going to walk through this fire and he's going to take care of everything. You know what? It's really nice when you have that. The world does not have that, does it? But, our, but we as God's people can have that peace that passeth all understanding, as the Bible says. And we need that in the day and age which we live. Because you know what? It's not always easy to be a Christian, is it? We'll talk about this more in a moment. But to, to be persuaded and convinced and convicted that my God is in control and I can, I can keep walking forward. I can tell you this much. I am getting tired of this day and age where I'm seeing people who have been faithful for decades falling off the wagon, if you will, spiritually. People that some of you may have grown up with and maybe were in youth group with today are not in church they're away from god why because they weren't persuaded they weren't persuaded enough to stick by the stuff and to stay faithful even when it was you know not so so easy see paul was persuaded paul was persuaded of god's credibility as god wants us to be persuaded as well of his credibility now in this farewell epistle he's encouraging timothy in so many words, be persuaded as I am over the truths that you are so earnestly preaching. And we see the results of being persuaded mentioned in the text in, in Paul's life. And some I think we can, we can glean some helpful truths for our own Christian walk. First off, when we're persuaded, we can brave difficulties. We can brave difficulties. Now, consider where this this epistle was being written from. Paul was writing this epistle from a Roman prison cell. I mean, a dusty, dark, damp, dreary, dirty 
dusty, whatever other D word you can think of. That's where he was. He had been arrested by the agents of the Roman Emperor Nero. Nero had blamed all the Christians for burning Rome at that point. And it's quite possible that Paul was arrested as a result of the crackdown persecution going against Christians. And Paul knew death was pending pretty soon. In fact, he, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, you know, he, he writes this under Holy Spirit inspiration. For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, he knew it was, it was time. It, it was time for him to go home, and he would go home to be with the Lord. But as we know, this was not just a one-time instance for Paul as far as difficulty, was it? Paul's life was not very easy. Being a devout servant of the Lord in a pagan Roman world. In fact, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, look at verse 23. We get a little bit of a Paul's resume of persecution that he endured. I can say I, I have never gone through what Paul has gone through. I don't think anybody here has. But I mean, it's quite a resume. He says here in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Wow, what a synopsis of what he experienced. Tough. Uh, that, that, that wasn't an easy life, was it? Not at all. And in fact, he instructed believers in Acts 14, 22. He said, he said that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God, right? It wasn't always going to be easy. And being a real Christian, there's a lot of plastic Christianity today, but I'm talking about being a Bible-believing, re regular Christian, striving to love the Lord the best you can, love people to Christ, and trying to live the book the way the Bible lays it out. You know what? It's not always going to be easy. Now, we don't face the intensity of persecution Paul did. But if you strive to live a Christ-honoring life, don't, you can't expect the world to sit up and, Yay! I applaud you. <laughs> oh, they sure do like to applaud the ones that promote sin. I know that. But let me tell you something. You're not always going to get the applause of this world. You're just not. It's just not going to be. That's not the applause we're seeking for anyways. The Bible says that we want the applause of God. Well done, now good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear in the end. But we're not going to get that down here at this time. And Paul was encouraging Timothy in verse 8. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, uh, of his prisoners, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In other words, Timothy it's not always going to be easy, and you're going to have to partake of some, some uh, the afflictions in this sin-filled world. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you just look across the page, he, he, he says this in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Some of you are soldiers here, or maybe had been a soldier at one point, 
And, uh, there, and some of you have been overseas and been part of that kind of warfare where you, you endure some hardness and you endure some of that kind of stuff. And it's not always easy, but I tell you something, what you're defending is something very priceless, is our freedom. And there's something even more priceless, and that's the soul, and that's the glory of God. Timothy had, of course, witnessed Paul's life. He had witnessed what Paul had endured, maybe even had experienced some of it himself. But how did Paul endure that? Uh, endure all that? I mean, how could he brave difficulties? And I think he, I think he says it well here. In verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded. <laughs> in other words, he was persuaded fully in what he believed in. He was fully persuaded. That no matter what came in his life that challenged it, and there was plenty, <laughs> he was persuaded that truth is truth. And nothing's going to deter me from that. You know, Paul believed what God said about eternity, that there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is a coming judgment. You know, he was persuaded of that fully. You know, just this past Wednesday, we've been in a series in our church called Eternal Things. I spoke about the great white throne. And, you know, just studying that out, I mean, it's a very sobering subject. You know, it's not one of those things that, you know, you get just so pumped up about because it's just like, it's a sobering thing. It's a very sad thing, really, when people, there are going to be people that are going to stand before it. And sadly, there are going to be people who were in churches that are going to stand before it and weren't saved. That's a very, it's a very sobering subject. See, Paul saw that. Paul saw that in the lives of other people because that's where he was going to stand had he not come to Christ. <laughs> and, he saw, and he saw the realities of heaven and hell, and, and he saw all that, and he believed it with all of his heart, and he was persuaded of it. By the way, that's what it's all coming down to, right? It's, what, it's all coming down to. There's a day appointed. There's a judgment day, and where a person stands, it, that's going to determine a lot, because we're dead a lot longer than we're alive. And Paul was persuaded of that. I mean, he saw that in his mind, in his heart, and it was like, it, it drove him by the grace of God. He's like, I've got, uh, woe is me if I preach not the gospel, right? Of course, he was persuaded about how someone got to heaven. I mean, he had a real jarring experience. He got things right. But he was, he was persuaded that there's only one way, and that was through Jesus Christ. He was also persuaded about what life is really all about, and that's bringing God glory, God's glory and honor. It's, it, it was all about that for Paul, and he became convinced wholeheartedly enough to the point where he could brave the difficulties that came along with it. He was fully convinced, and it, and it enabled him to, to keep moving forward, knowing that this stuff is just short-term. But what I'm living for is long-term. It's long-term. In fact, you, do we realize here today, sometimes our response to difficulties proves whether or not we are truly persuaded to what God says. It's really, it's really what it comes down to. Sometimes the difficulties will prove whether or not, and that's why God sometimes sends us through those things. Say, do you really believe what I have to say here? Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> Until that hit, you know. Boy, I've been challenged many times now in my Christian life, over 22 years been saved and you sit there and you begin to wonder do I really believe this and then I begin to realize I do and that enables me to keep going forward because like where am I going to go back to 
I left it because I found nothing there. And yeah, maybe I have to endure some things right now. But I tell you something, it was a lot better than it was back there as a lost person. See, Paul was convinced and enabled him to brave difficulties. And again, it's our response to difficulties at times. Sometimes that proves it's the proof in the pudding of whether or not we truly believe what we say we believe. If there are little things that are, that are knocking us out of the Christian realm, or out of the Christian life, if, if there's little things that are keeping us out of God's house, if there's little things that are keeping us from serving Him, if there's little things uh, that are keeping our lives from being what they're supposed to be for God, let it be known we are not persuaded. We're not persuaded enough. And we need to get there. What does it say when those things knock us out? What does it say about our Christian faith if those things knock us down and get us out and cause us to quit? You know, I mentioned a moment ago, I, I, I'm getting so tired of seeing God's people who had once been faithful. I've known people who have been deacons and song leaders in the choir, faithful witnesses, building buildings, doing all this stuff, and today they're not in church at all. They just, oh, we're done, you know, and oh, you know, they, they get mad over the, the silliest of things. Can I say something here today? Are you persuaded? Am I persuaded to keep going when it's not easy? Go to Jeremiah chapter 12. This is a great <laughs> little verse. It's a thought-provoking verse, but it drives home a little bit what I've been talking about. Jeremiah 12, verse 5. Here Jeremiah is writing, and he says, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, thou weary thee, they weary thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? In other words, when it was easy, if that gets you tired, what's going to happen when it's hard? What's going to happen when it's hard? I tell you something, we, we, there will be those times where it will not always be easy. I understand. Now, some of you have, no doubt, I, I don't know anybody's story here. I don't know you very well. I'm thankful I'm getting a chance to know some of you. But maybe you've been through that part where it hasn't been easy. But you, but you kept going because you were persuaded. Let me tell you something. As we continue on in these last days, you and I are going to have to be persuaded of what we say we believe. By the way, uh, that's, that's what convinced the loss that what we believe is worth believing as well. They're looking for something that's real. And, we've got, and, and by the way we live and way we, what we believe and what we're willing to endure proves that. Paul was fully persuaded, and they kept him going through the difficulties faced, fulfilling God's call. It, it, it kept him going. It kept him moving forward. Say, I need some more persuading. Can I encourage you where you can get it? <laughs> Just get your nose in the book and stay in there. And let God persuade you himself. Yeah. And he will. I'll guarantee you he will. If you're lacking a little of the persuaded part right now, just get in the book. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You'll hear God's voice and no doubt. I heard some good messages this morning. They were, they were, those are things that, that are so important to help you and I get persuaded in the truths of God's word. Number two. There was a bold determination. Look at verse 12. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. What a statement, huh? 
Paul says, I am not ashamed. And he had called Timothy, of course, not to be ashamed either. Look at verse 8. Be that thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So what does this mean? Well, the reason Paul was dealing with problems was linked to people who wanted him to quit sharing the gospel and testifying of God, basically. Now, there is a demonic element behind that, and I don't have time to get into all that, but, but the point basically is this, is that there, were, there was opposition that Paul faced. There was, there was things that Paul endured. His preaching sometimes offended people because it exposed their guiltiness before God. His testimony and his witness, uh, they, they didn't always rub people the right way. He was going against the grain of the culture by a long shot. And people tried to shame Paul into silence, didn't they? There was the time he was beaten and thrown into prison in Philippi. He was stoned in Lystra. And we don't know how many other countless places that he had this other than what he lists in his, in his resume there in 2 Corinthians 11. There are a lot of people trying to shame Paul, saying, you are a fool for what you're pursuing. You're a, you're, you're a fool for what you're doing. Making, a, no doubt, mocking him. You ever been mocked before for something? And it doesn't feel very good, does it? I mean, who wants to go around, I want to be mocked, you know? Nobody, nobody does that. It's not always a good feeling. People are trying to shame Paul into silence by the way he was treated. You're, you know, you're, you're too square. You're, you're, out of, you're not in vogue with the Roman world. You know what? It's very easy to feel shame. Some determined to make him into some kind of crazy man, speaking on the things that require faith to believe. Paul said, though, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Though I am treated as a fool, I will not stop declaring God's truth for, about himself, about salvation, and about eternity. Because I know I'm not crazy, because what I believe and I know is true. And he was convinced of that. And he gave him that bold determination. You know, Paul took Christ's admonition very seriously. If you go to Mark chapter number 8, Jesus said this, and it's recorded in a few spots in the gospel. Mark chapter number 8, verse 38. It says here, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. I don't think it's changed a whole lot. <laughs> Even since the time of Christ. It's still that way. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, Paul didn't want to be ashamed. I don't think anybody here wants to be ashamed either. You know, I, I think you're here because you do have a sincere a desire to want to please the Lord. And we don't want to have we don't want to be ashamed of him in any regards. Being a genuine Bible-believing Christian in this antichrist world again doesn't make you popular. Pop culture and all its promoters, no, they don't have a whole lot of love for God. I mean, they've made that pretty well known. And of course, we as his ambassadors sometimes get a little bit of the brunt of that and Jesus told us that. But God has told us not to allow their opinions to sway us as much as his word does. Why? Because unless those same people come to Christ, they are sitting in a very precarious situation. Think about it for a moment. And by the way, it could have been any one of us that would be in the same type of situation as well. 
I'm becoming to fall in love more with Psalm 73. Say, so what's Psalm 73? Well, it's a psalm written by a man by the name of Asaph, who, if you start off the psalm, you begin to realize he was pretty discouraged. <laughs> I mean, he, he was trying to do right. He was trying to live for the Lord. But it was not going easy for him in the society in which he was living. <laughs> and, 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 he's, and he writes this thing like, you know, all these people, they're doing wrong, and they seem to get away with it, and they're prospering, and here, uh, I'm trying to do right, and I get scorned for it. I, I, I take a, a little bit on the chin. I mean, if I say anything, I offend people, and, and I don't think he was trying to be offensive, per se, but just, you know, trying to do right. And he, and he got so, I think he was downhearted and downcast about it. But if you go over to Psalm 73, you, you, you see just how he felt. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe there's people in your life, whether it's at the job, maybe it's amongst your own family, that they kind of look at you or, and, and say, you know, you know, why do you have to be so square? <laughs> why do you have to be so Bible-believing? Why, why do you go to church so much? Why, do you, why are you so involved in this? Why would you go to a family camp? Why would you do this and that? You know, everyone else has gotten all these other things they're doing, and that's more the norm. And why don't you try to just fit in like everybody else? You know, you, you, you see Asaph here in Psalm 73, verse 13. He says this, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. <laughs> in other words, that's the way I feel right now. And maybe you felt that way before. If I say thus, I speak. If I say, I will speak thus. Behold, I should offend against the, the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. <laughs> you know, you look at look at the circumstances, and it was just like it, it was hard for him. Until verse seventeen, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I there. Understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. The whole point is this. You know, you can look at the world and maybe they're quote-unquote getting away with things right now, but they're really not. They're really not. And though it's maybe not always the easiest to live out your convictions, it's not always easiest to be a soul winner, it's not always an easy thing to do the things that other people don't even consider time or take time to do because they don't believe God. But Asaph realized something here. He's like, you know what? I understood when I went to the house of God and God's word opened up to me that they're in slippery places. That in other words, you know, at a moment's notice, their life could be done and will be done at some point. Back when, when we started our ministry, we had a couple that, it's kind of a long story, but we, we started working with. They, were, they, were, they had been married, divorced, but were living back together with each other. And uh, got to know him as a result of some advertising I was trying to do for a family thing that we were having. And, and the gal responded and said, you know, I, I want to come to this. And she did. And we started working with her. And, and uh, I, I began having Bible studies with him and, and so forth. And it went on for, I think, a, a couple of years, something like that. And then 
then they just kind of fell away and fell off. And it was really sad. We, my wife and I talked about them for a number of years. They, we, we loved them as people. They were, they were fun people to be with. But then just a couple weeks ago, um, the guy died on a motorcycle, 46 years old. And I remember when I saw it, it came, we were friends with the, the gal on Facebook, and it, it came up on the feed that he had died suddenly. And, and it just, it was just like, oh, we, we just sat there. As far as we know, he had never trusted Christ. And, and it was just like, wow, how, how, how quick things can end. How our lives are in slippery places. And that's where the lost sit today. I mean, everybody's one heartbeat, one breath away from eternity at all times. That's but by the grace of God that um, God's mercy, really, that they get another breath, another heartbeat, and, uh, that, and another opportunity for us to reach out to them. But I, but I understand how Asa felt because sometimes with the way the world puts pressure on you, and the way it, it, it feels sometimes, that there is the temptation to think, I have washed my hands in vain. There's a, there, there can be, it can be a temptation very easily. But because that we, as we get persuaded in what God says, Asaph, like Paul, we can have a bold determination because we are persuaded that, well, Going against God, rejecting His plan of redemption, and living for self are all dead-end streets, ultimately. That we know how this thing's going to end. Many choose those routes, but Paul and Asaph, as, as our examples here, were persuaded that God's ways, even if they are hard in the short term, were ultimately worth it, considering the brevity of this life and the longevity of the one to come. You know, Paul put it well in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 in verse 16, he says this. Chapter 4, I've got to get in the right spot. There we go. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, <laughs> I, I just chuckle when I see that, considering what Paul was calling light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our eyes are on the eternal, at least they're supposed to be. And when we see the eternal, it gives us bold determination, even if things are not easy now. It will embolden us because we know what is true and we know what's going to happen in the end. And yeah, the world may have their party, but guess what? That party is going to come to a screeching halt one day. It's going to come to a screeching halt. And they can mock on all they want at times. But may I say this, in the end, it's not going to be pretty for them. And our desire is to rescue them as God had rescued us through getting that gospel to them. See, Paul was so persuaded, he did all that he could to try to persuade others, even if that meant going against the grain of this world, which he did starkly. And that takes some courage. 
That takes some boldness, but it comes from being persuaded what God says is true. It comes from that. So there was a bold determination. Well, thirdly and finally, there was a believing dependency. Look back in our text, 2 Corinthians or 2 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Notice at the end there, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did what Paul commit to, to God? Well, his soul. <laughs> his soul. Paul was persuaded by God so much that he had, of course, was convinced that God would keep his soul safe for all eternity. Now, the Bible teaches us that the soul is the most priceless thing that we have, right? For it's worth more than the whole world. Paul was persuaded that regardless of what he experienced here on earth, that God would keep him safe when he passed through death's door into eternity. And when a person is saved, they commit their soul to God's keeping. They no longer trust themselves to get to heaven. They trust God. And God has given confirmation that every soul that trusts Him in salvation will never, what? Be lost. It'll never be lost. If you go to John chapter number 10, there's something I'm driving at here. John chapter number 10, it mentions in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We call that the doctrine of eternal security, right? That we can never lose our salvation. Once we've received Christ, it can never be taken away from us. And that's an important truth. Because knowing we are prepared for the day we die allows us to live. It allows us to live more freely, not fearing death, but actually kind of looking forward to the day that we see Him in death. You know, Paul put it this way in Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, right? We have a whole different perspective about death. You know, the, the average lost person, you, you wonder, why are people so so weird about this COVID thing. Well, there's a lot of people that are scared to death of death. And they should be. Because they have no clue what's going to happen the minute they step through. They have a hope, so I think everything's going to be all right. You know, they're walking through life with their fingers crossed, like, okay, you know, whatever. But you know what? When this COVID thing happened, I'll guarantee you, it has gotten a fair amount of people thinking about that. I know all the negative things that happened, but I'll guarantee you there's been some things that God's trying to do. And maybe to just wake people up to the reality that a little itty-bitty virus that you cannot see is more powerful than me. And, and we are fragile. And you need to think about eternity. There, there is that out there. See, you cannot live until you are prepared to die. Because you never know when you're going to die. And the great thing about having a believing dependence like Paul is that you know where you're going when you die. If you don't know where you're going when you die, then you are in a situation that is fearful. It is fearful. I was that way years ago. I had gotten into the military, I, I was, and I went through basic training and all the training I did. And, I, and you know what? I started thinking a lot about eternity, and it got me searching. 
And it was just ironic how God brought somebody across my path at that very moment in time. And he had no clue that was what was going on in my heart. I like what your pastor was saying this morning. You just got to get out there and sow the seed because you never know who you're going to run into. And, and you're like, and, and it's funny, sometimes when you run into those types of people that are just open, you're just like, wow, I can't believe somebody's open. There's actually a lot more people that would talk if we would talk. Really, there is. Because there are a lot of people today, they have no idea what's going to happen to them when they die. And they cannot live. They, they don't have a life. They're, they're shackled by this fear. Go to Hebrews chapter number 2. It, in fact, the Bible lays this out very, very clearly. Hebrews chapter number 2 mentions in verse number 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, is speaking of Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Look at verse 15, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You can't live freely when you're constantly scared, even subconsciously, of what's going to happen when you step into step through death's door. You can't. But when you're assured... I tell you something, it's, it's not like you're, you're going to go out and do something crazy, or at least I hope, I hope you won't. But the whole idea is, like, look, if, if it is my time, then I am prepared. And maybe today you don't know what would happen if you were to die. You have no idea. You hope so. You hope, well, I, I hope God will let me in. I, but you know what? You don't know that. If you don't know that, that's a very fearful thing. Well, God wants to take that fear away by giving you peace, by being justified in Jesus Christ, being born again, being saved, by coming to the, that point where you come to the end of yourself, you realize your sin is condemning you, and you realize how much of an offense sin is to God, but you're willing to repent of that sin, turn from it to God with all your heart, go in a new direction with God's help in life, and trust Him to be the one who pays for your sin. For me, that took place on April 4th of 1999, 9.35 p.m. in the back of the Fargo Baptist Church. I remember where I was when it happened. And I tell you something, that helped alleviate a lot of the fear I had. And maybe today that's what you need to have happen. I don't know. Paul could, could live freely because he had a believing dependency he was persuaded of everything that God had showed him in his word. And it resulted in his life having an impact beyond most people who have ever lived. I wonder how many people know the name of the Apostle Paul. And that's not why he was living. But, but think about the impact the, the life of the Apostle Paul had. We have, we have today's cities named after Paul, don't we? St. Paul, where I come from, was named after the Apostle Paul and other places. His life had such an impact and has an impact even now upon us as God has used his, some of his epistles as the Word of God. The whole point is this. If we want to get the most out of this life, then we have to be persuaded of what God says and obey it. 
And when we are, the fruitful impact our life will have will be beyond what we ever thought was possible. May God help us here today be persuaded fully of God's truths and that our lives may bring the glory He desires to bring through it for Him. Amen. Go ahead, Pastor.